You're listening to OEA Grow, a member-led production of the Oregon Education Association and a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. OEA Grow is by members, for members. In Season 11, educators discuss a culture of care with Dr. Amy Yillick. Well, hello. Welcome back to OEA Grow. Uh, This is Season 11, Culture of Care, and I am so excited um, to have Steve Weatherald with us today. He's going to be talking about equity, and uh, I'm just thrilled. Welcome, Steve. Hi, Amy. Nice to see you. Thank you. Yeah, always good to see you, too. would you mind telling the audience a little bit about yourself, kind of how you started in education and how you end up doing what you're currently doing now? Sure. Um, you know, it, it's strange. I'm, I'm 53 years old now. So looking back, it, it's hard to believe how fast time flies. Um, as, a, as a youngster, um, I taught swim lessons and I was a cadet teacher in a middle school. And my mom was always like, oh, you should be a teacher because that's like the best schedule ever. And it's like <laughs> guaranteed income. And, you know, she, she thought that was a great idea. Of course, I thought that was a terrible idea, even though looking back, I enjoyed those those beginning teaching experiences. Uh, I went to college, had no desire to be in education because I didn't want to be a poor teacher and finished college and got a job and really didn't like it. And then decided one day, I think I'll move to South Korea and teach English and and see if this teaching thing is what I really want to do because I didn't want to like invest in grad school before I I was really sure of that. So I did. And um, that was, gosh, almost 30 years ago and probably one of the best years of my life. Um, My my favorite part, I worked in, in a city middle school, a girls middle school that was amazing, really high achieving kids. But um, I was actually kind of rented out to a country high school, and it was students who don't perform well. So if in Korea and Japan, if you go to a good school, it's one of the city public schools, not an out in the country, not not one of those. So um, but those were my favorite kids because they were much more of a challenge. You know, learning was more difficult for them. And I thought that was a lot more fun. So, I mean, I, I taught a group of high school young young women one day in South Korea. I had 60 young women in the room and it was the easiest two hours because they were, they were such incredible students. Yeah, but that's, that's not what I wanted to do. So when I came home after a year, I thought maybe I want to do special education because I, I realized that's probably in America, that's what those kids would probably be labeled as. And right. so um, I couldn't get into grad school because my GPA for my undergrad wasn't what one would hope. Uh, So I got a job as an educational assistant at a middle school and it was amazing just because I got, I got to work with kids all day long. I taught reading groups and like did behavioral support and worked in gen ed classrooms. And it was just so much fun working with those kids. So I won't tell you how long it took, but I did finally get into grad school and I went, went back to U of O because that's a pretty darn good sped program. And after I got out, got done with that, I went, I returned to my middle school actually, and was a sped teacher there. And I, I think I taught at Pilot Butte for about 15 years. And I loved it, of course, as any special education teacher will tell you. They don't love the paperwork, right. but, but the kids are so much fun. 
And right. so it was great. Um, after that 15 years, I decided to make a move and I landed at Bend High. I, I decided the transition thing seemed really fun, working with older kids who were preparing for that, that post high school life. And, and I have really enjoyed that for the last. So I did that here for seven years. And now my current role, I'm a graduation coach, which kind of sounds like a made up job. Um, <laughs> It's, yeah. I, I really do work all day long. Uh, one of my big my big missions is ninth grade on track because we know the statistics for ninth graders and passing their classes. So um, developing interventions with our team and implementing those with our ninth graders to make sure our dream is that every ninth grader will pass every class. We're not there yet, but um, that's the hope. And then I also, especially post-pandemic, working with big kids. So 17 and 18-year-olds who kind of went off the rails during the pandemic didn't show up to school. Some had to work, some had to pay rent. Um, some were just so isolated. They just, school wasn't a priority. Um, so helping those kids uh, take GED tests to earn credit, take online classes, whatever they need to do, but just right. giving them that support that they need to get across the finish line. Cause we really do. We do hope that all of our kids will graduate. Yeah. Yeah. And your work, when you started at Bentai, that was how we met. That was my yes. first introduction to you because we got to work together for a very long time. And uh, one of the highlights of my career is working with you and your, your care and advocacy for students. And a little known fact, or maybe not so little known, but you were 2022's Teacher of the Year, OEA's Teacher of the Year as well. So it's pretty I was, impressive. I was the regional teacher of the year. Yeah, but that's amazing. <laughs> There's a lot of teachers here. Like that's really amazing. So it was it was very flattering. I mean, it was nice, and my my kids got a kick out of it. So that was fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I yeah, that's great. Well, um, so we are going to talk a little bit about equity today, Excellent. and I know that not only do you work as a graduation coach, but you are also like an advisor to a club called Cross-Cultural Club. Yes. Um, can you talk a little bit about like first, like what is equity? Like right now, I actually, there is a, there is a district that we have partnered with that has, you know, in so many words has asked us not to even use that word. Yeah. <laughs> when we're talking about, yeah. you know, we're, when we're talking about equity, we have to find other ways. You know, everybody gets what they need and everybody has different needs. And so yeah. could you maybe tell the listeners what your definition of equity is? And So I, I think we've all seen that that little cartoon of the people. It looks like young people peering over the fence. Right. And it's like, you know, do you lower the fence? Do you, you know, what, how do you, how do you make that equitable? And I think the, the ultimate answer is everybody gets a box that allows them to see over the fence so they can see the baseball game. And that's what I think equity is. It's giving people what they need. And, yeah. and it's, it's too bad that it's, that word has somehow come, become politically charged, right. but it has. And, and that, I don't, I don't really care about that because it's important. And we're, you know, I work in a public school and I think that's our mission is we are supposed right. to give every student what they need, whether they're yes. full IB, off to Harvard University, whether they have an IEP, whether, you know, severely impacted by a disability, whether they don't speak English yet, it doesn't matter. We should give kids what they need. Yeah. 
Yeah, I love that. I'll make sure to include the image in the the notes. Um, and actually, I've seen the next step to that image where they're not standing on the box. They actually remove the fence, and it's just like a chain link fence. Mm -hmm. So, so that, like yeah. another level of barrier, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's great. So, could you talk a little bit about your work with the Cross Cultural Club and what that's about, and sure. how equity comes into play with that? Yeah, so Cross Cultural Club started at Bend High, um, gosh, 2014, I think. Um, it was the year of a presidential election, and we actually had, there were a couple young ladies who were exercising their free speech rights in our cafeteria, and they were just sitting on the floor with signs and being perfectly peaceful and no issue at all. Um, and a group of young men surrounded them and started chanting, build the wall. Um, for the two young ladies who actually were both white, but you know that was that was their political mission that day. Um, they were incredibly intimidated. Uh, but in addition to that, a group of Latino kids were sitting at a table in the cafeteria and witnessed it. And they actually went to one of our counselors and said, "We don't want to go to school here anymore." Yeah. And so they, um, you know, it, it's like if if this is how people here feel about us, our parents, our grandparents, whatever, whatever your family story is. Um, they just didn't want to be here. So they were seriously considering transferring. But luckily, it was a really good counselor. And so <laughs> he said, instead of, instead of leaving, what if, what if you did something to make a change? And so um, kind of the four of us all got together and we decided to, to have some sort of club. And we had been up to Central Oregon Community College and we knew they had a Latino club, which is Latinx club now. Um, and they didn't want to do that. They wanted something that would be for everybody, where everybody could come and share their stories and learn about each other and gain more understanding of each other. And so that's what they did. That's why it became Cross-Cultural Club, not the Latino Club. Right. Um, and every year, gosh, every year, well, pandemic was hard. <laughs> meetings, yeah. meetings were hard on Zoom. And, and we still had our core group of kids who always showed up and, and, and kept it going. Um, but now several years later, do the math. Um, we have probably 30 to 50 students who show up each week. Um, our cross-cultural club leaders right now um, are like, like the most diverse group of young people you've seen. One is our student body president. Um, mm -hmm. I think they're all full IB diploma candidates. They're just like, they're just rock star people. And they're, they, they want to meet like almost every Sunday. They want to meet to plan for the next week. They want to share their stories. And so they do like I, one young lady, um, her family's from Burma. And so she had a slideshow and she brought like the traditional clothing and just kind of talked about where her family comes from. And the kids love it. it it's they're, they're so intrigued by by their classmates and that, that we all come from different places. So yeah. it's, uh, it's definitely a highlight of my week every week. Yeah. Yeah, I was lucky. I got to sit in on some of those meetings when I worked with you. And it's just amazing to see these young people just wanting to build community, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. it's very inspiring. It gives me hope for sure. Yeah, and, and that's um, how it is for me too. And, you know, we working in a public school, there, there are hard days. But yeah then I see what these guys are doing and it's like, it's okay. We're doing yeah. okay. 
We're going to be okay. Yep. yep. I'm just not going to watch the news. I'm not going to be on social media. <laughs> I'm just going to see these kids. These kids are going to change the world. I they really, are. they're going to, they're going to fix all of our mistakes. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I, well, I look at these five kids and they are, I mean, yeah. they're all going to go to probably prestigious colleges and I don't know what they want to study yet. And they might change their minds six times and that's totally fine, but, but they are going to do things that change the world. Yeah. What have been some of your um, successes in working with, you know, equity and the cross-cultural club? Um, gosh, what are our successes? That's a good question. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I think that, I think just on a weekly basis, the idea that we get this group of people of all different colors, we actually have tons of white students who attend now, um, it's, it's kind of funny, actually. It started off as primarily, primarily Latino kids, yeah. um, which is our largest non-white demographic in Bend. Um, and it's fewer of those students now, but we have tons of Asian kids, um, a couple black kids, I, I'm Indian kids, Native American kids. Oh, my gosh. Just, just We kind of have everybody, which is great. And yeah. they all show up during their lunch once a week yeah. just to hang out together. So to oh. me, that's a success. And I... And, and they feel like they have a place. Yeah. So, you know, some some kids have the football team. That's that's their place and that's their home. And right. that's great. And some kids have the baseball team. And some kids have drama. And some kids have IB. And and these kids have cross-cultural club. Right. So, I love I, that. Go yeah, ahead. I love that these kids have, they have a place, right? They know that clearly it's a safe place if you have so many kids coming and wanting to sit and listen or learn or participate. And I mean, that's really amazing. Yeah. And that's, that's my hope for, for every kid. And I can't, can, I, I mean, I have some, I have limited control here, but I have no control right. of our other schools, but I hope that every kid at Bend High feels like they have a place, whether it's cross-cultural club, whether it's in my office, whether it's the library, it, it doesn't matter what it is or where it is, but so right. long as everybody feels and not feels, everybody knows that they're included in this yeah. community. Yeah, that's amazing. And we know, I, you know, that was one of the things that I really appreciated about Bend High when I was there is that that was, that was certainly the goal, you know, that, that everybody knew that they belonged. And yeah. we know that belonging is, is like the biggest predictor of, you know, school safety and, yeah. you know, mental wellness for our youth. Like if they feel like they have a place, then, it's just going to be better. Yeah, it really is. And I think, I think over the last decade, we really have grown um, our IB program, which is pretty, um, pretty incredible students. It's college level coursework. Uh, was and IB I'm, stands for what? Oh, sorry, International Baccalaureate. So right. you could kind of compare it to AP. I think it's a little better. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think it's deeper thinking. I think it's a lot more writing, and I think right. you know, thinking and writing are really good things to help kids learn. Um, so kids, kids engage in this. Uh, we only have, I don't know, 20 to 40 graduates a year. So it's a pretty small right. number of a graduating class of 300 and it's incredibly rigorous. Um, I'm going to loosely cite a statistic, uh, three or four years ago, about 80% of our IB graduates were from the West side. So they, they chose to come to Bend High. It was not their neighborhood school, but parents wanted them to have access to that sort of rigor. And right. now I think it's about 50-50. So we're wow. improving. It used to be all white kids. 
Yeah. Were I, like I'd be, white, wealthy kids. Yes, white, white wealthy I mean, that would be, yeah. Yep. That's what IB graduation looked like. And that has absolutely changed. So wow. same thing with student government. It used to be, you know, back when we were kids, it was like white preppy kids, you know, whatever, whatever you want to call popular. that, that yep. the popular kids. And now it's, it is quite a cross section. So it, it really is nice to see those things that are changing. Right. Um, administration's oh, doing a, doing a really nice job. Like when there are issues, they're dealing with it directly and, and doing their very best to make sure that, that everybody feels okay after yeah. those incidents do happen. Sure. Well, speaking of incidents, what kind of barriers do you have with the issue of equity in, you know, a comprehensive high school? <laughs> um, there's all kinds of barriers. I, you know, I mean, we still have prerequisites for classes, right? I, you know, so if you, if you haven't performed at a certain level for something, you can't participate in something. Um, I, I would say the same thing applies to our sports. I, I wish we would have more like club sports and not right. worry so much about varsity. And I, I hate to say it, but most kids aren't going to go on to play professional anything or even right. college anything. A few do, and it's wonderful for them. But the purpose of those things is to give kids something positive and healthy to do when they're at school. So I, I still think there's barriers to those things. I mean, even just the right. paperwork process to sign up for a sport, you, you know, you have to create an account on a website that they do have it in a couple languages now, but that means you have to have a computer, you have to have internet, you have to know how to navigate all that. There is a fee, but we do have lots of scholarships. You have to have transportation. You might have to buy all the gear. So those, those are all barriers that keep kids from doing certain things. Um, something we've struggled with IB is we have kids who want to do that, but uh, they might not have a parent who can just go out and hire a math tutor when they struggle in their calculus class. And right. so we, we haven't yet built those systems into the school. How do we support that student who really wants to take on IB and really wants to learn at that level? You know, they might right. not get an A, but it's a kid who's like diving in headfirst to learning. And, yeah. and anytime a kid makes that decision, we should support them in every way we can. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, what a different system that would be if we had those resources and ability to do that, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, and kids are lucky because there's always a peer that would be willing to help, you know, if you if you have that courage to ask. But I, I, I always dream that we would have like colleges have and have a tutoring center. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the high school level where kids have to go to school, they're not choosing to be here necessarily. It would probably be underutilized. But yeah. but maybe over time it wouldn't be. And, right. and kids would embrace that opportunity to to learn and, and stay caught up and look at your report card and feel good about it. Yeah. And as much as I think, you know, we know about growth mindset and we've seen the research on that, we're still very much um, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. What you what you came to the table with is what you've got kind of society. Yeah. So I think, you know, we're not very good at asking for help. So of course our kids, you know, so of course our students are going to have a hard time asking for help when, you know, we don't model it very well. I don't model that well at all. And I I try to tell kids that I do. (laughs) 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 And, and, you know, I think we all as adults, I think we all have, you know, those two or three people that we can ask for help when we need it. But but we just don't do it, especially men. We're we're the worst. Right. And I would I would say the same is true of teenage boys. 
girls, girls are much better at seeking out support than boys are. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's socially acceptable. It is. Yeah. A girl. And so, but the, the cool thing is, is when kids feel they have a place and they feel they belong and they have a connection with somebody, they will ask for help. Yeah. So, you know, if it's your counselor, that's great. If it's your case manager, if it's the librarian, if it's me, it doesn't matter who it is. IB coordinators, lots of kids seek them out. But yeah. we, we want every kid to have that that person that they can go yeah. to and feel safe with. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, right? Like the heart of everything comes down to relationships. Equity, you know, like to yeah. be able to understand what kids need, you're going to have to have a relationship. So um I think that's just another validation, right? Like how do we bolster relationships with kids, regardless of what the content is, whether we're talking about equity, are we talking about, you know, academics or sports? Yeah, yeah. Um, So I have interviewed uh, someone that you partner with at Bentai. I got to interview um, Sarahi Harati from Restorative Justice and Equity. And I just want to say her name so many times because it's so fun to say. Um, Can you talk a little bit about the partnership that um, your students have had with them? I can. Um, So RJE has been really really wonderful with providing some events for our kids over the years. Uh, the biggest thing they've done is the town hall. What we used to call it was the town hall on race and racism. I think that's going to be changing with the next one. Um, it started off, we, we were we were really pretty protective of our kids because we wanted our, our students of color to have a place where they would feel absolutely safe and could share stories and could learn skills and, um, and be really be the majority because yeah. for students of color, that just never happens in Bend, Oregon. So right. um, we've done that for several years. It's kids just absolutely love that day. We do it up at the college. There's great food um, for, for lots of kids. It's a very college experience because they get to move around to different work groups. And yeah, it, it's, it's really cool. Um, here at Bend High, we asked them to help us because our kids noticed um, for them, for me, for their teachers, um, we really have a hard time interrupting racism and microaggressions and those things when we see them. It's really hard to do that well without, you know, without being super confrontational. Right. You no, know, we can all like. I'm a, I'm, yeah, I'm a grown ass adult, and that was hard for me until I learned strategies. I've been, right. I've been doing this for a while, and it's still hard for me. Yeah. And, and some of our really good teachers, you know, kids tell me stories all the time and it's like Mm. really, really good teachers who are teaching, you know, 35 kids chemistry and some kid, you know, pops off with a comment and the teacher's like, Hey, don't, don't say that. That isn't nice. And then they move on. But often that's not enough. So, um, so RJE has done some workshops for our kids, uh, primarily cross-cultural club kids. The first year, um, I think it was almost all students of color. And then they decided they could invite allies. And this year when we did it, it was wonderful. Um, it was it was quite a diverse group. So we have lots of white kids who are really engaged in this work. And and they want they want these things to go well. And they they were role playing. So Sarahi's she 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 runs a good workshop. Yeah. And she had these kids standing up, role playing in front of the group. And it, it's it's really wonderful. So we're actually going to do part two of that on, I think, December 1st or 2nd. Oh, so awesome. they, this, this isn't something, you know, 
within my the scope of my job that I would have the capacity. I really hate that word capacity, but right. I just I just wouldn't be able to fit that in my day and to manage all that and find all those volunteers that, who are trained and have those skills. Right. I couldn't do it, and so they really help us provide more for our students. And, and yeah, partnerships are so important, right? I mean, absolutely. it's. And it's so funny because, you know, when I was doing direct service, like I knew that in my brain, but now that I'm one of the partners, right? Like Uh it's amazing how important it is to have partnerships where they are, um, the partners are willing to reach out and kind of be proactive because educators ain't got time for that, right? Like how do we get these people to come? We know that we should and... Yeah. You know, when, when RJE kind of started, there was a, a woman at the Presbyterian Church across the street. And it was funny because she um, she worked with a, a lot of students I had at the middle school I worked at. And so we right. shared this group of kids and, and she, gosh, she worked so hard. She was an older lady. She must have been in her 80s. And she yeah. did so much for these kids. She took them all to Chicago for like a conference. She wow. gave them experiences that they would never have had. And, yeah. and they absolutely adored her. But she was kind of one of the first RJE people around here and then mm. and got us connected with the schools, got them connected yeah. with the schools. That's amazing. That's really amazing. Um, like if you had some tips for people wanting to like improve equity in either their, you know, a teacher in their practice or a school in their system, what would you suggest? Wow, to improve equity. Um, so I don't know if you've attended it, but I don't even know the name of the group. CFI. Yeah. I can't remember who puts on CFI. It's, it, it's it, the, yeah, it's the Center for Educational Equity. Nice job. And I'll make sure to put that link in yeah, there. So I did CFI a few years ago. And, and, and again, this has been, gosh, since I came home from Korea and got a job in a middle school that had over a thousand kids in it and only about nine Latino kids. Yeah, because that was Ben that long ago, and and yeah. I I was just watching these kids, and it's like oh my gosh they're so bright and they're so talented and they have such a fascinating story to tell, and they did not I mean they had their ELL teacher, right in, in the school but other than that people teachers didn't know what to do with them and you know you would hear those comments like oh I just don't trust those kids, and mm. it's like what did you just say, yeah and 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 so we hear less of that now which is good. Um, people still might think it sometimes, I don't know. And that's, that's, we all get to think what we want. Um, tell me the question again. (laughs) Tips for teachers if they want to improve equity or a school system. I think like committing like that. So CFE is a five day conference and it's eight plus hours a day. Uh, there's only 30 participants with like six facilitators. So it is, it is an in your face training. And there's yeah. no hiding. There's no playing on your phone or checking emails. You are 100% engaged. And yeah. it's um, it's transformative. It's, yeah. it's one of those things. I mean, the people that I did it with several years ago, we still get together. And, mm. and we have a drink and talk about these things and how are we doing and are we still improving? And um, so those, those kinds of things are great. I think finding your allies in the building, you know, who, who else wants to do this work with you? I, I think can be really powerful um, from an administrative level, uh, throw some money at it. You know, we, we throw money at lots of different things. And I, I don't think we're throwing enough money at this yet. 
Mm. So um, actually somebody just wrote a grant for a cross-cultural club because we have treats. Every, yeah. every Wednesday we have treats and I yeah. can only afford so many treats. <laughs> yeah. You have always been incredibly generous with your students. <laughs> so I remember you actually brought like sushi or something that you were that you were making with the kids years ago. I was just so impressed. We made, so we made sukiyaki at lunch one day. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, that yeah. So normally it's cookies or donuts or, you know, something right. pretty simple stuff, but the kid, it's just a treat. It's not, it's not lunch, right. it's nothing fancy, but right. you know, if, if we want to look at how we fund the football team or the baseball team or the wrestling team, why don't we fund some things that are, that are focused around equity? Why don't we fund those things at the same level? So yeah. I, I, I asked that question last year, or the year before I said, we, we have a golf team that has about six kids on it. And it has a coach that gets paid, a coach's stipend, just like any other coach would get paid. But at Cross Cultural Club, we have, you know, 30 to 50 kids show up every week and we have no funding. So we do some yeah. fundraising. We work in the concession stand and, you know, we hit up friends and relatives for donations because we right. like to a couple scholarships every year. So so we're doing great things, but it, but it definitely needs more support. And I am sure in every building, every building yeah. in the district. Yeah, um, I think creating these clubs and I think, you know, every college you go to has like some sort of Afrocentric club, some sort of Latinx club, uh, Jewish student union. I, they, they just have these things because people people are drawn to people who have yeah. similar backgrounds and similar histories. So there's nothing wrong with doing that in high school. Uh, yeah. I love the cross cultural piece just because it's it's fun to see them trade stories and and realize the differences they have, but the similarities they have as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. I, I just so appreciate the work you do. I just think it's great for sure. Well, All right. thank you. You've been doing this work for a long time and you are one of the more passionate people I know about doing this work. What do you do to, to keep your feet in the game and keep this meaningful and important and so that you don't quit. <laughs> well, that's really good. I, I received my my 25-year crystal apple this year. Ooh. So I know. It's amazing. It's on my bookshelf. Um, the kids wonder what it's for. Yeah. They just kind of laugh at it. Um, I kind of laughed at it, too. But but it's been 25 years doing this. Yeah. And yeah. and I still love it. And, and people ask me this year, I don't know, for some reason this year is a little bit harder than other years. And I don't. maybe it's still you know, crawling our way out of a pandemic. That, yeah. That's definitely part of it. Talking to elementary school folks, there's definitely impact on our little kids that oh, they yeah. that they see every day. Um, I, you know, kids ask me, well, like, how, how are you doing? How's school? And my answer right now is the kids are great. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, the kids are the fun part, right? Right. You know, watching kids learn and grow and it's just... That, that's the fun part. The adults and all of our all of our adult stuff isn't always fun, but but the kids are here and the kids have to be here technically, I suppose. Um, yeah. But but it's fun to help them want to be here. Yeah, yeah, that's so great, Steve. All right, the million dollar question: <clears throat> If I had a magic wand and it actually worked <laughs> and you could, yeah. And you could wish for anything 
in terms of equity, what would happen? So in my world of public education, if I could wish for anything, we would do away with special education. We would mm-hmm. do away with ELL. We would do away with honors and all that stuff. And we would give every kid what they need. I love that so much. But yeah. I don't I don't know. I'm not sure it's in our nature. Yeah. You know, we, we I mean, special ed law is so important to protect kids. Right. And yep. same with, with laws around English language learners. Those laws are so important because our system has failed those kids. Right. Over and over again. And so right. that's why we have the laws. I get it. But, you know, with your magic wand, if you could somehow make systems just work for kids, it would just be amazing. And we wouldn't have to have those labels. And because, you know, kids don't like labels. I don't think anybody likes labels. No. You I don't know? think we do. <laughs> yeah, I really don't. I mean, you know, unless we're part of the that popular, right? The label of being in a club where we belong then that's different. But if it's an isolating label. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, know, if it's a label, you get to choose for yourself. Right. Well, I think that's one thing, but it, when it's a label, you know, it's that sticker that somebody else, a group of adults puts on your head when you're a fourth grader, you know, yeah. the good as a special ed teacher, I think something I did relatively well was to help, help the big kids, you know, juniors and seniors embrace that part of them. Yeah. And, and my kids who did do that performed really well. I mean, if they would yeah. embrace their accommodations and say, hey, hey, math teacher, remember, I get extended time on this. That's one of my accommodations. Those right. kids would do so well once they could find that courage to embrace it. Right. And we're all, yeah. right? I mean, we, we all have things we're good at and we all have things we struggle with. Yeah. So, yes. right? I mean, we, we all have a disability in, in some one way or another, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I don't think I could have said it any better, Steve. I think that's great. Being able to give every kid what they need. Wouldn't that be amazing? That's ultimately what, you know, you're saying. So it is. Yeah. That's, that. that's well, that's, <laughs> that's my goal yeah. every day. You know, yeah. every kid who walks through my door, it's like, what, what do you need and how can I help you with that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's so great. Just so great. Um, so we're, we're like wrapping up here. Is what would you like our listeners? What kind of final words or last things would you want them to know? I would, I would hope, I mean, I'm assuming lots of, lots of the listeners are educators and, yep. and I would just hope that people would dive into this more because as our communities and, you know, we're in Bend and I'm assuming people from around the state will listen to this, but, but Oregon has become so much more diverse. And, and it's made Oregon so much better. My mother grew up here and it was, you know, she went to Franklin High School and it was not diverse at all in 1958. So, so Oregon has changed a lot. So the more we, we dive in and embrace this and embrace all Oregonians. And that's, that's what I think it's about is, you know, we're all here, we're all living together. And so let's learn about each other and support each other. Yeah. Let's figure out how to live together. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, Steve, I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for sharing what you do and how you do it. I, um, I am sure many people will be inspired by the work that you do. And I know that I am. So thank you. Thank that. you. That's very kind yeah. of you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that is all we have for today's episode. I thank you for tuning in. And until next time, I hope that you will take care. 
For more OEA professional learning opportunities, visit grow.oregonad.org.